0: Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Revelation chapter 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one. And as you're turning there to Revelation, uh, I'm going to kind of briefly go through or try to briefly go through uh, the things that we've been covering. Today, we are going to be um, actually ending our series, This Beautiful Mess, for the last couple of months, we've been talking about the kingdom of God and what that means, how the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was a very prominent topic throughout Jesus's ministry. It's something he referred to time and time again, and yet it's something that many times we have some vague ideas of what it means. If you were to ask someone, what is the kingdom of God, a lot of people would be at a loss to give any kind of clarity to it. Well, it's something that's going to happen someday in the future. But as we've seen and we've gone through this series, that the kingdom of God is not just something that's off in the distant future. It is something that is taking place right now. And, and I just want to real quickly run through what it is that the kingdom of God has, is and, and how it affects our lives because it's an important thing to understand that we have a place in the kingdom of God, that we are a part of what is taking place, that we're not just sitting back waiting, someday the kingdom of God is going to come and we'll be ready because we were here eating donuts and in and, and Bible study. We are participating and practicing the presence of God's kingdom here and now. Jesus said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It was Jesus' first words in Mark's gospel. And when he says the time has come, he's talking about himself with the king, Jesus, comes the kingdom. And so make no mistake about it. The kingdom of God was present because the king was present. It was showing up. It was near, he said, not somewhere in the distant future. It was taking place. In fact, at one time when Jesus was having a dialogue with a a man and he gave this declaration, what is the great commandment? It was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And as this man reaffirmed the words of Jesus, Jesus said to him, when Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now, what did he mean when he said you're not far? He didn't mean like, go stand over there. There, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Now, there you are. It wasn't that kind of a thing. It was an understanding the truth of God and what God was doing. You're not far from it because of what you believe." And so it wasn't like, well, when you die, you'll get there. It was like, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And probably the most discomforting thing that Jesus said regarding the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation or will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, this is something that causes people to become uneasy. What do you mean the kingdom of God is within you? Well, Christ in you, the hope of glory, if the king is in you, then the kingdom of God is there within you. And so recognizing that the kingdom of God is something that takes place within our lives as we partner with the work of God. We then spoke about what does the kingdom look like? How does it show up? What do we think of it? And the Western mentality, let's face it, when you think of kingdom, a lot of people think of this. It's the magic kingdom. My idea of kingdom is King Arthur or, you know, castles and knights in shining armor. And for many people, the idea of a kingdom is just two steps above Disneyland because we don't understand and recognize kingdom thoughts, but that wasn't the case. In the Hebrew mind, they saw the kingdom as literal. David was going to have an heir on the throne. The kingdom was progressive. God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his laws given to Moses, and the covenant upheld by all the prophets. The kingdom of God was to be God's final word. And in Zechariah, it says, shout and be glad, daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in the day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And so there was a reality. The kingdom of God was not something, you know, ethereal. It wasn't these clouds in the sky, the kingdom of God, everyone's going to be playing harps and we're going to be kind of hanging out and it's going to just be one long church service. Oh boy. You're thinking, I think it already is. <laughs> the kingdom of God was a reality that they were looking forward to. It wasn't just a spiritual awareness. It was something literal, something that they were looking for that God had been doing continually within their nation. When God gave this covenant to Abraham, that promise was continuing. And so the kingdom of God in the Hebrew mind was something literal, which is why they had such a hard time with Jesus. Who who is this guy born from an unmarried teenage girl and is cousin is some hillbilly living out in the, the sticks, wearing wild camel's hair and eating locusts, this isn't what we were expecting. Our idea of the kingdom didn't include you. And then we talked about how the kingdom of God is already here, but it, it is still not yet here. That it was something that was taking place because the king was here so we could be a part of it right now, but there was still a time that would come. And Jesus talks about this continually. And one time, as he's being confronted by the Pharisees, he said, if the Spirit of God, is if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, letting them know it's happening now. He went on to give these parables, the parable of the seed, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the wheat and the flower. How he said, there was a farmer, a landowner, he went and he planted wheat. The kingdom of heaven is like this. But then an enemy came and planted weeds next to the wheat. And as they grew up together, they saw the wheat and the weeds. And so his servants said, Master, didn't you plant wheat? How is it that there are weeds growing there? And he said, an enemy has done this. So the servant said, should we go and take out the weeds? And he says, no, lest you do that, you'll pull up some of the wheat as well. Let them grow up together. And then later in the harvest, they will take the wheat and put it in the storeroom and the weeds they will take and burn. And he spoke of this being as the kingdom of God. The kingdom was gonna be growing here present at the end of the age, he said, the angels would take and discard the weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who who took some bread and put some leaven in it and it permeated through the whole dough and it grew. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the tiniest of seeds. But when it's planted in the ground, it grows into a, a large tree and then birds come and nest in it. It was something showing that the kingdom of God starts off small. It's this organic group of men and women that then move and now have spread this news throughout the entire world. The kingdom of God is something that is taking place right now. And it is something that is going to continue and be fulfilled in the future. We talked about how the kingdom of God is to be a priority in our lives. If it is happening right now, are we mindful of these things? Are we living in an awareness of what the kingdom of God is? Jesus said that we are to... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that it is supposed to be prominent in our focus, in our lives, and how we live. We then went and looked at some of the character issues in the kingdom of God, the character being some things that we talked about through the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful and the peacemakers. In fact, Jesus said that those who were peacemakers would be called the children of God, the sons and daughters of God, that if you are a peacemaker, it is God's DNA that shows up in our lives and that this was supposed to be the character of those who belong to the kingdom and how this was supposed to be our character, that it's different than that of the world around us. We're not trying to promote ourselves we're actually living for others. And then Jesus told us about the qualities of the kingdom, that it was found even in children. Matthew gave three examples of children, and we talked about the theology of children and how if we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then we need to become like a little child. In fact, one time he contrasts the rich ruler and the children. And who are we trying to be like? Are we trying to be like a rich young ruler? Doesn't that sound like a great title? I'd go for that title. What's your title? I'm a rich young ruler. It works for me. But you see, the rich young ruler did not follow. Do we want to be like the rich young ruler or do we want to be like the children? The children who have innocence. The children who desire community. We talked about how we punish kids by taking them out of their element with their friends. You're grounded. You've got to go to your room. You can't go and play. We put them on a timeout. Kids love community. And it's the opposite with us. We have to try and encourage ourselves. No, go be with people. No, I'll just be home. Kids have a joy. They're connected to the things of God so easily, so readily. They wake up singing. When was the last time you woke up singing? We talked about treasure. That we attach ourselves to the things we invest in that our money can actually be a tool used for the good. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the kingdom of God is something that we can invest in. That it is something that encompasses the total of who we are. We also looked at how the kingdom of heaven, we, we have to divide it between this idea of levels and that of a dimension, that we can't enter the kingdom by production. It's not something we work ourselves into. It's actually something that we are invited into. This isn't a matter of, well, you learn about the kingdom and then you are a part of it. It's not sin management. Well, don't do these things and then you can be a part of the kingdom of God. We are qualified and brought into the kingdom by Jesus himself. Paul writes and says, in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light. He has qualified you. It's the difference between essence and trying to produce something, who you become. And many times we think, well, to, to be a follower of Jesus and to get to heaven, you need to just change your life and Start doing different things. But it's not about changing the things that you do. It's about becoming someone completely different. A new creation, Paul calls it. It's like a caterpillar. A caterpillar doesn't just try harder to become a butterfly. It doesn't work that way. There's the whole process that takes place where he goes into the cocoon And then after emerges this metamorphosis, this change, and all of a sudden it doesn't look anything like what it was. Same thing has to happen to us. We are saved by his grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's not by what we do. And so we are brought into the kingdom by the king himself through what he has done. And last week we talked about how we are the clearest sign to what the kingdom of God is. That in all of creation, nothing represents God like you or myself. We were alone created in his image. And so we are to be, to the people around us, a signpost to the kingdom. Jesus said, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. But before we could go out, we talked about how we had to gather, that there was always a gathering and how food was always a good thing with the gathering. But as we gather, then we are to encourage each other and to go out, to represent the kingdom of God. And so we see that the kingdom of God is something that's prominent in our lives. It's something that we should be mindful of. It's something that we should recognize that we are participants in. We're not building the kingdom. It's already there. With the king is the kingdom. But what we should do is be aware of our role in this work of God that is taking place right now. But one of the things that's important for us to understand, and I think helpful for us to keep in mind, is that there is going to be a time when the mess of this world that we live in finally ends. You know, we've entitled this this beautiful mess because in the middle of this dark world, there are these rays of light that shine through. And it's good to recognize that the mess around us doesn't get the final answer. It's not the final word that the kingdom of God, this new reality that's breaking through and changing things is one day going to establish itself completely, entirely. That there is something that we are looking forward to. And so we want to have this picture of the kingdom of God and it being fulfilled in our minds. We want to be able to hang it up in our thoughts and be able to say, okay, this is our hope. Someday the disease isn't going to to ravage those that we love. Someday there is not going to be the car accidents, the cancer, the pain. Someday those things are indeed going to end. And if you are a Christ follower, and what that means is you're someone who believes that he is the king, that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he has done, his ransom for you, that he has risen from the dead, that he has conquered death itself. If you are a follower of him, then this is your future. This is what you have to look forward to, that there is something more, something better, something complete. This is your destiny. This is what we are called for and to. This is when we finally graduate. We get that diploma. We get to throw the hat up in the air. Say, Yes! You guys remember when it is you graduated, how exciting it was? Hope so, I, I didn't. Um, <laughs> no, I graduated. There's this feeling of, yes, it's accomplished. Well, the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, the end of this mess is our graduation. And it's something that we could look forward to. But I... I We think very little of heaven because I think we're consumed with the world around us. And we have these strange thoughts of what heaven is. Heaven is floating around on clouds. It's kind of other world, out in space somewhere. Or or heaven is this just long church service that just goes on and on and on. And there's no need to look at your watch because it ain't going to end anytime soon. (laughs) Like, how long is he going to be talking? It's been three years now. Oh, my goodness. And so some people have this idea of, no, man, you know, heaven's just, I, I don't get it. A lot of times, you know, guys who are leading in worship and song, they go, heaven's going to just be one eternal worship service. You know, are you leading? Because if that's the case, not you, Danny. (laughs) But it's like, so we're just going to sing forever. And so some people find that, I don't find that appealing. I don't want to sing forever. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And I think we lose sight of this because, and it can become very disheartening because we have this kind of strange view of what heaven really is. And so in Revelation chapter 21, we get the end of the mess. And this is just a powerful and beautiful passage. Starting at verse 1, it says, Then... It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly and unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. A new heaven and a new earth. This doesn't mean that the earth is just going to blow up and explode. If I see scripture Clearly, there isn't this kind of just, boom, earth is gone and there's a new one. Just like when we're spoken of as being new creatures in Christ, a new creation, we don't die and then come back. It's talking about this change. It's talking about redemption. Paul talks in Romans chapter 8 about the earth groaning, waiting for this redemption, how that the earth itself is laboring and is suffering in this fallen, messy state. And we see it. We see it in the earthquakes. We see it in the tsunamis. We see it in the disasters, the oil spills, and all the things that happen that the the earth is like in childbirth. These labor pains waiting eagerly for this redemption. I don't think we realize how severe things have affected the world around us because of the fall. And we think that, okay, there is this sin that has come upon, you know, there was the Adam and there was the the disobedience and now there's sin on the earth. And so now we have to, you know, come to this place where we're redeemed. But it's more than just us. It's affected everything around us. It's affected the world around us. Notice, too, that it says a new heaven and a new earth. It wasn't just the earth that needs to be redeemed. There is something that drastically affected the heavens that they have to be made new as well. And so we're looking forward to this. And the strange thing is to think that when you go to heaven, eventually what you're really going to be doing is being back on earth, that heaven isn't out in outer space somewhere, that we're not all going to wear Star Trek uniforms, yes, I'm in heaven now, white gowns, and it's just all this, you know, kind of sterile environment, like a hospital, that it's actually going to be back on this earth. We assume so many things about heaven. We again assume that heaven is non earth. Don't you? I mean, when you think heaven, yeah, it's up there. There's the harps, there's the angel wings, there's the clouds. When I think, you know, it's all misty for some reason because the movies or something, it's always misty, it's always pillowy and fluffy. I mean, this is some things that we just assume because of how we've been brought up. We assume that it is unfamiliar, that it's otherworldly, that there are strange things that happen in heaven. You know, it's all bright and and unfamiliar. Again, that it's just going to be this one long church service. We, We assume that it's Detached from what we're used to. But think about this. When we say a new earth or earth that's redeemed, think how beautiful some of the things are that you get to see and be a part of now. Think of the ocean or the mountains, the scenery, the sunsets. I mean, creation can take your breath away. And this is a fallen earth. This is an earth that needs to be redeemed. Imagine an earth that isn't fallen. Imagine no pollution. Imagine an earth that has all the beauty that we see now, but even more. And being able to enjoy these kinds of things. In Revelation chapter 22, John talks about how there are these fruit trees that every month bear fruit. Think of that, just being able to go and pick fruit off of a tree anytime you want. Every month it's there. You don't have to wash it because of the pesticides, (laughs) it's all organic. It's all good, and it's there. You see, I think it's very familiar, which should bring some comfort to us. It should help us to feel a little bit better because it is what you're going to know. It's not like you're going someplace and and you've never been there, and you don't know how it works. And you're wondering, am I doing it right? Is this the way it's supposed to be? What's supposed to happen? No, it's familiar. It's the earth. There's fruit trees. There's the things that you know and are used to in this area. It's comfortable. You know, we think that we're going to have to leave our favorite things behind. Ah, heaven, it's going to be boring. I'm not gonna be able to, you know, play ball. I'm not gonna be able to, you know. Somewhere I heard that there were no animals in heaven. Someone pulled out a verse from Proverb or from Ecclesiastes, it was, where it says, An animal has no soul. But it says that about man too in that same passage. So you gotta be careful in Ecclesiastes. Otherwise there ain't no us either. But in Revelation, again, 22, and actually in Isaiah, there is a lion lying down with a lamb. You know, and let's face it, we couldn't sell heaven to some of our kids if there were no animals there. (laughs) No dogs? I'm not going. Where are the dogs going to be? I want to go there. There's this familiarity. The things that we enjoy are are still there. The things that bring us joy are are still there, but are better. A lion and a lamb lying down. Wouldn't you love to hug a lion? Wouldn't that be just like the coolest? That'd be so bomb. And not have to worry about, you know, dying. (laughs) And so this new heaven is something that we're familiar with, but so much better, so much better. And we need to recognize that it's a sense that everything that is good about life is still going to be there, that there's going to be food. There's a wedding feast, food, good food. I'm so glad the heaven's going to have food. I don't know if it's the Italian in me or what, but I enjoy food. It's just one of those things I was brought up. Food is a good thing. And there's going to be enjoying those things. I don't think there's going to be Weight Watchers. (laughs) And sometimes we think there's going to be no more desire. We're just going to be emotionless. We're not going to have any more desires in those things. But there's no indication that, that's going to, that we're going to lose any of those things that make us human. We're just going to be more fully human, that our desires are going to be under control and healthy and probably stronger than they actually are now, but just better and so all these things are really things that we are already aware of but they're just going to be healthy and whole and complete this should be the picture that you have that you're looking forward to this is this is what we desire and a lot of people think well man you know if heaven's so great why don't you know you just want to die now well, it's everything's got to be in the right time you know a young girl you know a little 5 year old Girl, she might be thinking of the day that she's going to be a bride. And she's looking forward to that day. But at five years old, you're looking forward to that day. But it's not now. The time will come when you will be the bride. And the same thing, heaven, well, it's not now. We can look forward to it just like that young girl. Someday I'm going to get married. But it's not today. We, We have this desire, but it'll be in the right time. We don't have to hurry. We don't have to rush to get there. It's just something that we can long for and know is waiting for us, that there is going to be that time. In verse 2, he talks about this new Jerusalem, the city of God. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This new city, there is actually going to be the city. It's this place, the city of God. And we believe that this is going to actually happen. It's where God is going to dwell with his people. And as we begin to see this picture of heaven clearly, I I think a lot of times it's still clouded by the things that we are involved in. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 13 that we now see through a glass dimly. We, We don't get the clarity of what it is. I mean, you think of a city and you think of a beautiful city, one that's just illuminated it's going to be more glorious than whatever city you can think of new york current jerusalem it it doesn't matter dubai pick the most luxurious city and this is just going to be so much more i remember when we got to go to new york they're in times square with the big jumbo and all the lights and stuff and it's like oh this is so cool it's just going to be so much better but we have a hard time imagining well cities not that great what's so big about a city but we we cloud things through our life and it's as if we're we're seeing heaven and there's this window in between where we are and where heaven is this glass and this glass gets covered with the mud and the dirt and the things of this mess. This glass gets covered with the things that we go through that hurt us and they distort our understanding of God and what is awaiting us because of the hurt that we experience. And so sometimes this picture is a little blurry and distorted because of the things we bring into this because of the mess that's around us. We can't clearly see this city. We can't clearly see all of what heaven entails. We just get these little glimpses of it. And as he talks about this new Jerusalem coming down, it's representing the, God's dwelling with us. We are his people, he is our God, and there's going to be this establishing that, that Jesus is there. And how that takes place, I mean, we don't know all the details. Well, I'd like to see Jesus. Okay, take a number. Your number, eight billion three hundred twenty-seven. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think there's going to be a connection with so many people that we are going to be able to enjoy one another just as you would enjoy Jesus. Imagine someone coming up to you and enjoying your presence just as they would Jesus. Not because you're God, but because you've been made whole. You are completely human. Remember, Jesus was the perfect man. That there would be that wholeness in you, that you would no longer be plagued by the things that pull you down, by the doubts, by the sin that trips you up. You get to be really human, what it means to be human. This is the picture that we need to be looking forward to. In verse 3, he goes, he he says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Sorry, that was verse 5. Verse 3, got ahead of myself. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things is passed away. This idea of the mess being over is challenging for us. It's hard to imagine, I think, for some of us. Because the wounds that we carry are so deep. Because of the hurt that we've experienced, scars, Our emotion scars the way we think. Some of you have a hard time trusting God and and, and it seems like you always fall back into this place. Well, why why would God allow this to happen? How could these things happen if God is, is good? And we are tripped up by the things and it's hard to imagine no more mourning, no more pain, no more crying. There's too much mud on the window that looks over to heaven, and so it's difficult for us to recognize, but we have to keep this understanding. These words are written so that we would have this hope that the mess doesn't get the final word, that God is going to redeem all things to himself. Sometimes we we bring this blame throughout our lives to God because there's too much clouding the idea and the understanding, the reality, that there's going to be a day when it's gone. I love C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, where he gives this bus journey, these people who are in this kind of purgatory place, and it's not a theological book, so don't get all bent out of shape. And, And he goes up to this heaven, And as these beings start going into a deeper and closer proximity to heaven, they find that the ground is actually more solid, that it actually, the grass underneath their feet is so hard because it is real. And they start finding out that the life they've been living was the illusion. The day that comes when we realize that this old order of things isn't what lasts But this new order is. This awakening. God's answer is he's going to step into the mess. He he doesn't clean it up like that. We want God to fix it. God, this mess, just get rid of it. And his answer is, no, I'm going to step into the mess. I'm going to become one of you. I'm going to suffer with you and for you. I'm going to redeem you by my death and my suffering. I'm going to conquer death itself in the resurrection. This is how I'm going to clean up this mess. And I'm going to give you guidance and hope with the promise that came with my resurrection that this mess will be defeated. And in verse 4, we see the mess is over. Can you understand that? Do you long for that? Because that's your future. If you are a Christ follower, this is your destiny. This is your future. And so you can be like that young girl looking forward to that wedding day. This is what's going to happen. This is what my wedding day will look like. There will be no more pain, no more tears. No more mourning, no more crying. He makes everything new. He he gives this promise in verse six of this restoration. He said to me, it is done. I am alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. I love that. To the thirsty. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for this? It's like our souls are longing for what he's speaking of here. We desire this completion. We desire this wholeness. We, we want this. We are trying to find it, but we are looking in the wrong place. God has to bring it about. And so we are signposts that it's coming. It's not yet, but it's coming. And we are the signposts right here, right now. And one day he's going to quench that thirst. With water from the living water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And then he moves to this place. It's like, this is nice, but then he adds this other verse but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Uh, couldn't we just end it on unicorns and rainbows kind of a thing? But the reality is for the mess to be cleaned up, there has to be justice. And there has to be judgment. And God is letting us know that there is going to be a making things right. that God is going to deal with all the evil and the wickedness that was done, that he isn't just going to whitewash. He's not just kind of just a real quick wipe down there. It's all better, that there has to be complete restoration, and that includes dealing with the wrong that has been done. And this is good news. I know it's a little frightening, these words, and it sounds so ominous, but Think about it. There is going to be a day when there is no more child that is molested. It's not going to happen. There's going to be a day when no more woman gets abused or beaten. There's going to be a day when there is no more injustice and people aren't used for someone else's purposes or selfish pleasure. There is going to be a day when God says, no more. It's done. That's a good thing. I'm looking forward to that day. That God is going to bring this justice. That he is going to clean this mess up. That God will settle all these debts. And so this is the hope that we are looking forward to. And when you start thinking of the kingdom of God, Recognize that this picture of what he has just painted in Revelation is our destination. And it's showing up through glimpses right now in you. That Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the glory? The glory is just this, when God will reign. When he will put these things behind. When he will give us this new earth. And it's not some foreign spirit place that it's got a body to it. A resurrection body has flesh and bone like Jesus did. We don't know all of the things that it can do, but we know that it's something familiar. And so we're not looking to go up in the sky somewhere to some magic land where we are like little angels We're looking for the fulfillment of what this world was supposed to be. More importantly, the fulfillment of what you and I were supposed to be. And we're moving forward in this direction. And we are participating in the kingdom of God right now, looking forward to what it will be with the hope that this is what God has for those who love him, who are called for his purposes. Let's pray. Father, may we have this hope. May our souls be encouraged that you have not left us here for so many years and... We just have to continually struggle, that this life in you isn't just a continuation of one test after another, after another, after another with no graduation, that there is a time when we will move on, that there will be a new heaven, a new earth, when these old things will be done with. When the mess that we live in will be cleaned up. When we will be cleaned up. When we will not be burdened and held down by our sin. When we won't be constrained by the wickedness around us. When the suffering will stop when you will make all things new when you will literally dwell with us will be our god we will be your people and god as we look at this hope and keep this picture on our wall and glance at it now and then may we recognize that that picture That wholeness is something that is progressing today, right now. That you are using us to bring this picture into focus. That you have invited us to be a part of your work. And until that day comes, God, may we continue to have hope, May we have the character and qualities that you spoke about. May we allow you to be the priority in our lives. May we use our lives to further this work and what you're doing. May you use us to bring about this kingdom understanding when you will one day establish yourself completely with a new heaven, a new earth. Lord, we look forward to that day and until that time, may we be good representatives, ambassadors to you. May our lives be a signpost to the kingdom of God. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.